Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I know it's been a minute since the last time you and I have spoken, and I want to thank you so much for following the Thrive Bites podcast. And I just want to let you know that there's good reason for that, and let me explain. In almost six months, I've been working tirelessly and diligently to helping people near and far during this tumultuous year that we've had from 2020 into 2021. And I said to myself, what more can I do to inspire and impact others? And you guys know me, I'm all about thriving. I'm all about thriving from a emotional, mental, and physical standpoint. That is the reason why I wrote Thrive Medicine. And that is the reason why I started this podcast called Thrive Bites. And so I decided that I wanted to put together a virtual summit experience, gathering over 50 speakers. That includes physicians, dietitians, fitness experts, coaches, and spanning over five pillars in teaching someone else on learning how to thrive. And I call this the Thrive Formula. The five pillars consist of food as medicine, functional fitness, relationships, community, and resilience. And the reason why I've chosen to do this is because I really wanted to give more tools, more education, and more inspiration. And letting people know that they're not alone and they don't have to be ill-equipped for life and whatever life throws at you, whether it's a curveball, whether it's an obstacle, whether it's a roadblock. And I worked really hard to provide this and I'm happy to announce that it is fully released and it's fully accessible. And you may ask yourself, who is this for and what does it consist of? This is for the individual that prioritizes their health and wellness and also wants to take charge of their own well-being. It's also for the healthcare professional and the healthcare professional student because I wanted to create a summit experience that I wish I could have had when I was in school. The summit experience has over 50 plus hours plus more ranging from culinary demonstrations to fitness demonstrations to scientific medical sessions. And we answer questions like, what is Whole Foods plant-based cooking? How do I start cooking back in my kitchen? What affects my brain, gut, and immune health? What are the tools for my own emotional and mental well-being? How can I be more of service and lead by example? What kind of nutrition do I need to give my children nowadays? To how do I navigate self-doubt, self-sabotage, my inner critic? to what are the best physical movements to increase my mobility, strength, flexibility, and function. And one of my favorites is how do I create more joy, contentment, and happiness in my own life? This summit also works like a masterclass series where you get to learn and further your education. And I do this by providing quizzes with every session and I provide workbooks. And there's also recipes and very, very special speaker bonuses. You'll also have the opportunity to join a private Facebook community to further your growth and connect with like-minded individuals. So if this resonates with you, please join us on this journey to further yourself and take back 2021 and beyond. You can find us at thriveformula.co. That's T-H-E-T-H-R number five, formula.co. And come on inside and I'll see you in there. Cheers. 
Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us on the Thrive Bites podcast. This is season four, and we're so excited for you to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Colin Zhu, double boarded in family and lifestyle medicine, and I interview the best and most passionate health and wellness experts of the industry on this platform. And we talk about plant-powered living, emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And this season, we're taking it live, we're taking it on multiple platforms, and we're taking it as a Q&A discussion as well as our interviewing of our guests. So we're super stoked about this, and please remember to like and subscribe down below, and we will see you. Welcome to the next episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You can be anywhere in the world, and I am very, very, I am very happy for you to spend just a few moments with us today. Uh, we have a really, really special guest. Um, I, we're talking about a great uh, topic. Um, our topic of this episode is called Thriving Through and with uncertainty. And so um, our next guest for this uh, week's episode, his name is Dr. Nabil Othman. And a little intro on him. Um, he has completed his medical school at Wayne State uh, School of Medicine, Detroit, Michigan, followed by a anesthesiology residency at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, California. In his fourth year of residency, he decided to write a book called Vigilance, an anesthesiologist's notes on thriving in uncertainty. Uh, the book describes anesthesiology in terms of complex systems, synergistic inter interactions, and rare catastrophic events called black swans. Currently, he is a critical uh, care fellow at the Texas Heart Institute in Houston, Texas. Um, in his free time, he enjoys CrossFit, hiking, and writing. So we cannot wait to introduce Dr. Offman. Hello. <laughs> hey, what's up, Colin? <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for being here with us um, and spending time out of your busy, busy schedule um, to be able to share, you know, your thoughts and wisdom and uh, expertise with us today. Uh, of course. Well, thank you for having me. All right. So, you know, the topic um, is a very interesting one to me. I think we could all benefit through, you know, thriving, you know, in, you know, uncertain and sometimes unforeseen events. And a lot of it is, you know, as you write through the book is, you know, a really uh, correlation and analogy of, you know, a reflection of what you go through, you know, spe specifically with your residency training. And those that are not in the healthcare professions um, have less of an insight of understanding behind the scenes of what really goes on, you know, what needs to be done sometimes in, you know, in a millisecond of a critical thinking decision making process that, you know, we have to be able to hone and refine, you know, with uh, us healthcare professionals. So um, I'm very, very uh, happy to uh, discuss. So my first question, uh, you know, for you is, I love talking about the origin story of, you know, how people go from point A to point B. So can you share with us um, your journey of how you got into anesthesiology in the first place? Yeah. So um, when I went, when I started med school, I was originally going to be a surgeon. And when I got to the OR on my third year of medical school, what I realized is I liked everything about surgery except for operating. I like you know, didn't want to dissect tissue planes for the rest of my life. And 
the rest of my third year, I was kind of in the dumps. My, like, oh, what do I do with my life? And um, at the end, uh, um, at the towards the end of my, th- it was May of my third year of medical school. So this was three months before residency applications were uh, due. Uh, I I decided to spend a day in the operating room because maybe I'd like anesthesiology. So it was the um, after I took my neurology shelf exam, which is like the medical student exam after the rotation is done, I went and spent a day in the operating room and said, like, this is it. This is this is what I'm going to do. And <laughs> looking back, it's kind of crazy because I'd never done an actual anesthesia rotation. I spent a single day. Um, so <laughs> looking back, I was like, oh, it's a, kind of like a crazy thing to do. But I, was, I really liked the ICU. And I thought, you know, if worse comes to worse, I'll just do an ICU fellowship and, and, uh, and do that. But um, it worked out really well. I love the residency and like the OR. So I think, uh, luckily, things I think came together for me later, but but they eventually did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, you know we were talking a little bit offline, and uh, you know, for me, how I looked at choosing your path through you know medicine was either you either love the operating room or you don't, right? Yeah. You either love cutting things open or you don't, right? Very and, true. And uh, obviously, you know, I went down a different path, but, you know, I think every specialty and subspecialty, you know, are super, super necessary and has their place. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm really glad that, you know, you had uh, traversed the path that you have um, and now you're doing critical care. So you're currently in Houston, yeah? Correct, correct. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, you know, those are, I don't know, I don't know, is it, you know, is it a very unsung, you know, type of uh, profession? You know, I kind of feel like anesthesiology more so um, than critical care, but do you feel like critical care is kind of like unsung heroes, so to speak, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the amount of demand, you know, on them? Yeah, it's, it's, I think both anesthesia and critical care are, are um, this are very similar in that you have to know a little bit about everything, and in you can't miss a single detail. So one missed lab value, one missed fever, one uh, not checking urine output for even for even an hour can can you know can, patients can decompensate very very fast, and in anesthesia the the patients patients can't tell you what's going on, so it's it's it's, it, it's a little bit like veterinary medicine in a way that you have to, you know, you you have this person on the table and you have to you can see what the surgeon's doing, you can see what your monitors are saying, and see what the patient is doing, but like they can't tell you anything, and so it's kind of figuring out that is is this something that I have to deal with now or like or can I wait? And you don't you don't always you're kind of like it's like tiptoeing to the edge of the cliff and you never know when the cliff is going to stop. And so you have to be very careful. And that's, I think there's, there, there, there's a lot more that goes into it than just sitting there in a chair. And that's a lot of that cognitive um, process isn't always obvious, but it's, it's like exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, um, you know, having, you know, being a medical professional myself and having gone through the schooling and training, you know, we, we do things called clerkships and rotations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like visiting a house, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, down the street, every single house, you know, every every neighbor's house, right, just to kind of see, you know, how they, 
you know, quote unquote, operate, you know, from their, you know, scope of medicine. So it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of, you know, fun going through that journey. And, mm. you know, I'm super glad that you, uh, you know, chosen uh, the career that you have. So, you know, on that same vein, um, what would you say um, are the biggest misconceptions? You know, if we're talking about anesthesiology, what do you say, you know, uh, that you get a lot um, are the biggest misconceptions? And how, you know, what is the reflexive truth or debunk of that? Uh, so I think the most surprising thing that I realize is a lot of people don't realize that anesthesiologists are doctors. And I was kind of blown away. Um, but um, it's people don't realize that, that you have to go to medical school and do residency to be an anesthesiologist. And I think this kind of stems from anesthesiologists. We, they, it's kind of our fault in a way that we we choose this because we can like sit in our own little world and play with physiology. You know, we people who choose it, we tend to not want to be in the spotlight. Um, and patients don't always remember us, right? So as soon as as soon as we meet them in pre-op, we give them some Versed, which is a drug that relaxes you and makes you forget things. It's uh, kind of like IV Xanax, and patients usually don't. I remember us. And so I think part of that problem is just that, you know, we don't, that we don't get as much FaceTime when, um, when um, uh, patients are conscious as other, as other doctors do. But I, um, I, if you like, you know, patients ask and I was happy to like explain it and tell them, you know, I think most people, they just like, they just don't know. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And I think even surgeons, you know, probably have a leg up on you. Right. Yeah. Because like they go in, right. They operate, they, the patient knows about the surgery, yeah. right. But yep. they may not know all the supporting secondary, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to use that word, oh, lightly, yeah, exactly. um, but you know, yeah. it, it's kind of like a play, you know, they don't, they don't know the secondary and support. They just, you know, right. know the main lead. Yeah. And then when they come out, come out, right? Um, there they are, the surgeon there to greet yeah. them and say, like, oh, hey, Mr. Smith, you know, it yeah, went yeah, well yeah, or yeah. didn't went well, right? Yeah. So, um, so at least they get to see their face, right? Exactly. And then they have follow-up appointments and stuff like yeah. that. So so I definitely, you know, definitely pay hat, uh, you know, tip off my hat, you know, for, you know, that department, anesthesia, the critical care field, they're so needed and great bunch of mm -hmm. folks and uh, brilliant people, brilliant people. Um, Tell us a little bit about um, the book that you wrote, right? Oh, yeah. um, you know, what was the impetus uh, for that? And, you know, why, what inspired you to, to, to write it? And why do you feel like it was such an important, um, uh, I guess, endeavor, you know, for you uh, to write about? Um, so what I, as I was going through my training, especially during residency, what I realized was that, Anesthesia really isn't explained to anybody. The the like basic concepts underlying anesthesia, um, and and, and but other and in other specialties, it seemed more obvious. And perhaps it just wasn't. This wasn't obvious to me for anesthesia. And I kind of I'm kind of a curious guy. I like I like dabble in economics and psychology and other you know math. And I like go on Amazon and like usually read a book every like two weeks-ish. And I think as I started reading more books, it started becoming very interesting that anesthesiology, it wasn't just about physiology and about, and about putting a breathing tube in, is there's very complex decision-making 
a machinery that I've been developing over the course of my years of residency in terms of dealing with emergencies and triaging problems, like what's an urgent versus elective issue? Do I need to act on this now versus later? And so I, I started writing that down. I thought it was fascinating that there was this entire inner, like inner psychologic systems-based approach to anesthesia no one had written down yet. Um, and I think the book is important because it kind of, it like takes everything that anesthesiologists intuitively know and writes it down and um, tries to apply it outside of the operating rooms. I think like our kind of thinking processes are, are, are extremely useful and, ex and extremely good. I mean, when you look at anesthesia mortality, it's, it's, I'm, it's incredible that like, it's like, I think the, the most um, recent data, well, I, I like calculated this out of my book, but um, when anesthesia started in the 1940s and 50s, um, it was what you, it was a patient. If you did a hundred cases a month, the patient would die every like every like two to three months. So this is just like, like if that's if that happened today, you know, no one would have medical license. And, and, and now I think it's um, that I would have to do a hundred cases a month for about a hundred ninety years um, for like a, for like for me to like for a patient to die for during a, a routine case. So. The mortality, I think, is is incredibly low, and the patients have get patients in surgeries have gotten sicker and more dangerous. So I thought that was like that was something remarkable that should be shared. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of um, obviously it's the knowledge, right? And obviously it's um, you know kind of like what we do in training is um, just by sheer numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously it's under a very safeguarded, protected environment you know, for us to train it. that's why it's called training, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the application and just practicing these skill sets over and over and over again. And a part of it is just by sheer volume, you know, oh, yeah. for those that, you know, that, you know, our, our medical colleagues watching this, um, they can relate because it's like endless nights, 24, mm -hmm. you know, hour calls, like, you know, so on and so forth, where, oh, yeah. you know, it's really about sheer volume. And a part of it is, is really kind of getting every nuance and, almost almost every case that you could possibly be bombarded with oh, yeah. so that when you're quote unquote done, you know, and out in the real world and, you know, by yourself with no supervisor, then you can kind of draw upon, you know, these experiences to be oh, able yeah. to say like, okay, I can work from confidence and oh. approach a situation. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Oh yeah. And I think that that's what, I think what kind of differentiates a physician training from, uh, everyone else in the hospital is that everyone else is, is, uh, is like taught to follow an algorithm. So if this happens, do this, if this happens, do this and so on and so forth. Like doctors, I mean, we have guidelines, but the more patients that I see, the more I realize like guidelines might account for about like, I'd say 25% of, of the knowledge that I have or uh, of my current practice. And that's to say is you, you have to be able to look at a patient and say, is this a routine patient or is there something that's going to be unusual about this case? And then um, that kind of 
call an audible and make adjustments. And that's, that's really hard. What I found is like, is it's, it's crazy that it took four years of med school and four years of anesthesia residency. It took eight years of just nonstop nights and weekends and just back, backbreaking work and sacrifice just to have, just to have the most basic of decision-making to practice just like safely. And I think, I think a lot of people who don't, who don't go through our training, they kind of don't understand how high that bar really is. And it, this is not easy. It takes a long time. No, no, no. And it's, it's that saying goes, it's tried and true, right? So it's kind of like, you know, sometimes it, you may, I don't know if you get this a lot, you know, Nabil, but like, you know, for us as a family practitioner and, you know, being a primary care physician um, in years past is, you know, now bombarded, you know, with the advent of, you know, more so revolving internet and social media, yeah, pretty much <laughs> up to the studies that show like maybe up to like 80% of patients that walk through our door, you know, for a primary care have already Googled, you know, what mm-hmm. they can come up with, you know, before arriving to, to you to defer. So it's almost like, in a weird way, they're coming to order something as if they're at yeah. Burger King, you know, trying to order like a value meal, yeah. right? And then and then you saying yes or no, when it's like, it's totally, that's not how medicine works, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you were describing, it's, um, you know, it's so much blood, sweat and tears that we put into this and um, it's not that straightforward, right? Yeah, and- Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole foods, plant-based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite-sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything that I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is whole foods plant-based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long. And you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZhu, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, on Listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of Listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes, and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. And now back to Thrive Bites. 
welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Primary care, I'd say, is like it's it's crazy how much you have to know. Probably even I think more than anesthesia because people come in. It's an undifferentiated patient who get, they could be having a heart attack in front of you. I mean, I had a um, one of the patients who I saw during my third year of medical school um, in my primary care rotation. My, my a preceptor, who's a family medicine trained, diagnosed a PE that like walked into her clinic which is like crazy but it's like so she saved this lady's life and this lady like didn't want to go to the hospital she's like oh you know she had she had she had this cancer that, that she needed to get taken care of and she was like oh you know I was sick of seeing doctors sick of doing this and like you know she convinced her to go to the hospital and she was in the ICU for two weeks and eventually she got surgery and her cancer was gone and now she's doing better but it's like it's really really, really hard when when the answer isn't presented to you beforehand. And uh, an, uh, an undifferentiated person just walks into the office and like, you know, you meet them for 15 minutes and you have to say, you have to figure it out. And that's that's like remarkable, I, I, yeah. I think. It's, yeah. And this is something that takes years of training to, to know what's serious and what's not and how to like, deal with people. So I, I have, a, I, I have a lot of respect and primary care is, uh, Oh yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, you know, same, you know, same, you know, the respect definitely goes all around to every specialist, you know, out there and, um, you know, we do what we can, you know what I'm saying? And we do our best to cover every single case. And, you know, it's not from my end, it's not just about quote unquote saving people, but it's, you know, preventing things from happening as well yeah. is what, you know, definitely where my focus is. And, yeah, uh, you know, switching over to you, um, you know, my next question is, is that, you know, anesthesiologists, you know, have to do a lot with um, sometimes very catastrophic, you know, events, you know, or obstacles or challenges that may come through, you know, when someone is just lying on the table. Can you, you know, share a little bit, uh, you know, how kind of like a you know, an average, I don't know if there's such thing as an average case, but just give us like a case example of like, you know, how, you know, something like an unforeseen uh, event comes, how, you know, an anesthesiologist's mind works in terms of in preparation and maybe for, you know, how that may relate to our current times right now. Yeah. And so um, I I, I think what we see in the OR is these very, is more in, in as you see sicker and sicker patients who are getting more and more complex surgery. And what happens is you, you don't always know how these things interact. And so complications occur and some of these complications can be it can be life threatening. Like um I had a um, I had a I was doing this case it's like a, a peripheral nerve repair case on this on this uh young girl who developed a bronchospasm, um, which is, which is when the smooth muscle surrounding the uh, uh, bronchi constrict and um, prevent normal breathing. You know, she, her, her oxygen saturation immediately tanked and I had about 30 seconds to figure out (laughs) what was, uh, what was going on. Um, and I, I think one of the things that anesthesiologists do is we kind of try to th- think through what the possible complications are 
ahead of time and then always keep those in the front of our minds. Um, so it's bronchospasm, it, although it's pretty rare to see it, um, it is like it is a known a complication. So I think under like fully understanding the bad things that could possibly happen and then, then already having a game plan in your head. So the preparation is like 90% of the uh, fight and then execution is the other 10. And so I already had this loaded, even though I, even though I had never seen one, um, I you know, ran out of the OR, grabbed an inhaler, like the kind used for asthma, pumped a bunch of puffs into her tube and she like, she, she like, desaturated down to 70%, which is like borderline bad things about to happen. And then, then, then things went okay. And so I think people um, that the lesson from that story is that it's, it's more important. It's, it's not so much the progress that you make, but how to prevent yourself from completely going broke and like failing. Because I don't like in, the, in these in the catastrophic situations, you don't always need to solve the problem, uh, prevent prevent you, your business, or your patient, or your even your health from like from um, going to a, from degrading to a point where you can't recover. And so that's like the biggest thing is to like keep yourself alive long enough to figure what's going on. And yeah. sometimes things resolve spontaneously and sometimes they don't. Um, but the number one thing is know how to know how to keep yourself from either like if you have a business from, from like totally growing broke. So diversify your investments as much as you can get insurance, you know, like if you pre- prevent yourself from totally catastrophically failing, then as time goes by, you can take advantage of, lucky breaks but if you but if you die prematurely you can never take advantage of those breaks in the future Mm. yeah that's that's actually great um you know i like what you said about you know the 90 percent preparation and the 10 percent execution and um you know if you take where we're currently at um, as a context it's almost like you know, in a way we weren't prepared, right? We were severely underprepared with everything, <laughs> you know, especially, yep. you know, in your profession, in your field right now, you know, everything oh, yeah. is just being swapped all the time. And so it's kind of like, you know, even with that preparation, you could even be like 110% prepared and still have something go south. But, you know, it's the likelihood, right? It's a likelihood yeah. of, you know, being able to have a game plan for something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, what beautifully with the house and in terms of insurance and, you know, I would even add in like a, you know, a rainy day or emergency fund or, yeah. you know, like, you know, for me, I travel a lot. So it's travel insurance. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's about, it's about, yeah. you know, really having these tool sets in hand, but it's, it's, but before you even get to that, it's really about having the mindset you know, what could go wrong. So it's almost, it's almost like you're, you're, you're almost like a, a risk. What do, what do they call it? A risk adjuster or like an yeah, auditor yeah, yeah, or something. Of, yeah, like that. I think, what is that Ben yeah, Stiller, yeah. you know, uh, character and, on uh, Along Came Polly? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's no, it's, no, I, I think like, anesthesiologists go into cases assuming everything is going to go wrong. And when, when it, when it like doesn't go wrong, we're happy. But I think, when you assume things are going to fail, you you're, you kind of like cue your brain to actively avoid them. 
And I think that's that's like key is to is to understand that there are days where you might not make a ton of progress doing something like studying with your family, uh, business wise, money wise. You know, some months you're negative, some months you're positive, some months you're even. Um, and that that and that will happen. But I think the the key is to not put yourself into a situation where you can't recover. And the same thing with like mental health as well. It's like the, like the same idea is, is to like find ways to like, to keep yourself buoyant. I call your friends, call your, call your, uh, call your family. Um, take yourself because like for me, residency has been very much like ups and downs of easy, difficult, very stressful, not that stressful. And you can't control that. And, you know, but you have to kind of find a way to make it so that you, that you still say that you still stay within the margin of um, f- functioning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I was, you know, when you were doing that hand motion, I was uh, thinking of a roller coaster. And, you know, whenever you get on a roller coaster, it's like, you have no idea which way it's going to go up and down, sideways, twists and turns. You're like, that's, that's literally life, right? And um, you do your best to be like, okay, let me just kind of sit here, (laughs) make sure the Mm seatbelt's in place and hope for the best, you know, but just making sure you're prepared. So I think that's a great great way in terms of, um, you know, preparing and stuff like that. So, um, so I want to go to a commercial break real quick and, uh, guys, you know, you know, for those of you who are watching, you know, this is thrive by podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu. I'm here with the awesome Dr. Nabil Othman. And, uh, if you have any comments or questions, please write in and, uh, we'll be right back with our commercial break. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, AKA the chef doc. I just want to take a few moments of your time to talk to you about something, something that I feel needs to give reflection and pause for. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, I've been on the self-work journey for a decade now. And I remember in my personal experiences uh, through my doctor's journeys and also from traveling the world, I was always searching for the next step or thinking that happiness was a destination. However, it's not. What I found instead was that life was a process. And learning about life was also a process and a practice. And that the state of happiness and the state of joy and contentment was also a practice. For those of you who don't know, since I don't share that much on my podcast, is that I actually battle with anxiety, OCD, and in the past, episodes of depression. However, little by little, step by step, after seeking extra help, I've been able to achieve monumental things in my life that I've been eternally grateful for. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is a sponsor of this podcast. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. 
You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A couple of reviews. This is by Rebecca Raymer. Becky has literally saved my life by truly understanding me. She has given me self-talk strategies and different thought pattern exercises that have made me stronger and a more aware person. I am so, so grateful to have found her. I've been to so many different therapists and none have helped me like Becky has. This is another review for Adam Johnson. I've had counselors before, both on BetterHelp and in person through work. And Adam, by far, is the best counselor I've ever talked with. I feel like he actually listens to and what is going on. He asks questions to help you navigate your thoughts. And you can tell that he is listening and wants you to help you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. That's better H E L P and join the over 1.4 million people taking charge of their mental state with the help of an experienced professional special offer for thrive by listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc T H E C H E F D O C. Thank you for listening guys. And back to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. All right. Um, so those are, um, welcome back. You know, again, this is Thrive Bites podcast. I'm here with um, the awesome Dr. Nabil Offman, and we're talking about thriving through um, uncertainty. And so um, one of the questions I want to ask is, you know, the current environment that we're living in, you know, there's just, you know, I think you and I both are kind of like, you know, how are we still here? <laughs> I think that's kind of like our, our biggest you know, uh, thing. Uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, you know, th- this should have you know been finished like a while ago. Um, but, you know, again, it, it comes back to, you know, preparation, mindset, you know, getting things in place. And so, you know, for um, just the concept of uncertainty by itself, you know, on a physiological, maybe emotional and mental type of, you know, way of thinking about it, why do you think um, it freezes most people from pursuing, you know, uh, the best that they can in life? You know, if, um, if we can draw upon what you go through, you know, as residency, you know, and understanding, you know, because you've gone through so many of those events, right, mm-hmm. you know, through yeah. residency, and you've gone through oh, so yeah. much of it, just keep, you know, but what is it about, you know, that that freezes most people? And I think this is kind of, as I read, as I, I was very lucky to live at this time, because I think there was, there, there was a lot of advances in uh, behavioral psychology that kind of explained this in the last 30 years. And um, I think, the the best way to explain it that I found is this concept called system one and system two. And this is, this is um Israeli psychologist named Daniel Kahneman who won the Nobel prize in economics. And his, his like, uh, I think his life's 
work is about describing how people make decisions and why those decisions aren't always logical. And so he kind of divided all of decision-making into, into two different systems. So system one is this fast, automatic, fight-or-flight reaction that, that, that uh, uh, people have whenever they counter, whenever they whenever they encounter an uncomfortable or unknown situation. And this is probably based based on our uh, early evolution, is that this initial system one, fight or flight, black and white response kept us safe. So when we were walking around in the jungle and a lion, pop, and a lion popped up, system one tells us to instinctively run out of there, um, which is, it kept us alive, which is good. Um, However, it it's not really a logical system. It's a more on intuition and based more on emotion. Um, which which when you deal with a complex situations, things like COVID nineteen, economic policy, um, psychotherapy, people people are very complicated individual things, and when you apply this kind of black and white automatic decision-making tool, um, pe- people tend to make poor initial decisions. And so I think what what I've learned is like from anesthesia and seeing this emergency after emergency after emergency is that what I've kind of learned is how to silence that and like allow myself to like, to like, it's almost like, like a Buddhist kind of like, like let like, let the feeling come, let it pass and then take that like second kind of let that system one moment go and then start thinking logically about it. And that's, I think, what, what kind of separates and why anesthesiologists have gotten so good, gotten so good at this. And why I think this like psychology of it is fascinating is that you see it all the time. I mean, think about this. It's like how many times have you lost something and like automatically assumed somebody somebody stole it from you like like every week right oh i like lost my keys also oh, someone must have like taken the hospital right like um i thought so so i uh misplaced my uh a portable speaker last week and i was the hospital oh, I, oh somebody else oh, some like maintenance person stole it some other resident stole it some nurse some nurse stole it you know and i went online and i got really mad and went to amazon and bought this like new really expensive one it's like stupid and um, it turned out the speaker was in my bedroom the entire time. So if, if I, you know, if I would have just taken that second to think, okay, like I looked for the hospital, it's not there. The next likely place is in my apartment. Why don't I search my apartment first before doing anything? And so I think this is like a innate reaction, like losing your keys, and it's it's like an innate reaction that anesthesiologists have got have gotten better at silencing, and that kind of allows us to like allows us to get to get very fast and kind of fine-tune this logical problem solving system to part of our brain pretty much what i got out of that was how come you got you know zen buddhist meditation classes in your residency training and i didn't (laughs) um so my uh yeah, so it's it's definitely it's definitely very very important to be able to just kind of 
you know, pause and really be present with, you know, how am I going to attack the situation, right? And then, you know, with that repeated skill set, you know, to kind of, you know, act as opposed to react, you know, is I believe what you're describing, you know, and I think a lot of what we're doing in society is being in a more reactive state, you know, but if you think about it, it kind of, it's almost like it's not really, it doesn't give us solutions at the end of the day. Like it doesn't give us answers or the next step on how to solve a problem. I mean, I don't remember a reaction being, you know, contributable, you know, uh, contributable to a solution. So um, I think it just kind of adds more fuel to the fire of, yep. you know, sometimes unnecessary heated debates and back oh, yeah. and forth. And in, she said, she said, it's like, what's yeah. the point? And that's, that's like kind of the people management. Also, anesthesiologists joke that half of our job is patient management and half of it is surgeon management. That um, the patient's pretty chill. They're anesthetized. They're not going to complain too much. But um, what you've, I think surgeons, um, you have to know how to manage them or how to like manage frantic um, nurses as well in the, as well in the OR is that you have to be the calmest per, uh, person in the room. And what I found is perhaps this could be helpful um, is that if you, if somebody else is frantic and, and you mirror that, the situation just will escalate out of, out of control. And so what I find is, when I feel like I have to go fastest, that is a time for me to, to me to slow everything down to a crawl is slow it down as much as I can, because if the situation's escalating and I'm slowing it down, even though I might not feel like it, what I'm doing is, is keeping that situation like constant speed. Um, so that, that's what I found is to, um, when things are, slow sometimes it's better to speed up but when things are going too fast you really need to kind of like get into the zone and calm everybody down and yeah. uh, uh, keep the situation under control oh yeah i think that mirroring um you know just being the you know like you said i think that's a great 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 uh you know point to make because you know if other it's kind of like you know the the movies that we see or just like you know um uh, let's see, like our modern day protests, you know, and then, you know, you see tear gassing and, you yes. know, all this other, when you see one person panic, like everyone else follows, yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, That's or, like or that, runs, you know, it's like, like system one, right. That like evolutionarily, if you saw like a, like a, like a lion kill one of your friends, you know, you get, it's like this, you know, it was, it was beneficial at one point, but now that we have an organized society, it, it, it can be, Harmful. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have one comment from uh, YouTube, uh, Chef Colin. Uh, he says, "We applaud. We applaud you all, and grateful for you." Wow. So, oh, <laughs> yes, we definitely think uh, Chef Colin's actually going to be on um, in a few hours. Oh, um, wonderful. So, yeah. So he's he's a great great friend. Um, so basically, a little bit more specific um, in terms of you know, our current context does, you know, the topics of climate change and the pandemic, you know, versus, you know, previous, you know, catastrophic events, you know, in society and history, does that make much of a difference? Or do you feel like, you know, you can apply those same skills and strategies, you know, no matter what it is, you know, 
And so one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I think the strategies in it are kind of applicable to literally everything in that, um, in that you can never predict the future, especially now is I think we live in the most complex time in like the history of our, of our, of our, of our species. And, um, you know, and I think you can't always, if you allow your mind to focus on, on the things that you can't it, it control, it, it's just going to drive you crazy. And you're never going to really, you're never really going to get anywhere. I think the important thing is to kind of, is to, is to first take a step back and kind of like go to that system too, that logical, a deliberate part of your brain and like ask yourself, what is one thing that I can do today that's going to bring me a little bit closer to my goal and whatever that goal is. Um, is it climate change? Is always going to be there. COVID, always, always going to be there, and and so um, you have to figure out what you can feasibly do right right now. So, is there a way to diversify your income so that the next economic crash doesn't numb, isn't gonna it isn't gonna be as painful in terms of climate change? Is there a way for you to change to to a, a renewable energy sources, or is uh, buying like a flood insurance on your on your home? Um, I think thinking of like the big the uh, of the big macro problem can be counterproductive sometimes. I find that sometimes it's better to kind of think of the things that are more that are that are more under your control that you can actually do. No, that's great. That's great. I think uh, what you said was beautiful in terms of, you know, what can I focus on right now? You know, when I think of these events for me, I think of it as, you know, I, you know, I do a lot of hiking, I do a lot of running and stuff. And so, you know, for me, I, I, I abhor inclines, right? So, but it, I tell my patients and I tell, you know, my, my colleagues, I'm like, you know, don't look at the, don't look at the Mount Everest, right? Yeah. Look at the smaller hills and tackle those first, yeah, right? And then slowly but surely, okay. it will accumulate, mm -hmm. you know, to that Mount Everest, you okay. know, eventually, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I love what you said, just, you know, just do what's in front of you, attack what yeah. you can, right? And then tomorrow will be another yeah. day, so. And it's, it's pretty crazy that when I started medical school, I, I look at like what I can do then and what I can do now. And it's it's really cool to be up in the, up in the middle of the night, like the end of, residency literally like bringing people back from death when they like you know when they're like heart stops in the floor when like bleeding in the operating room and being able to diagnose and treat things and like like and actually be right like like and do it and like be able to do it correctly mm -hmm. and like have a good outcome is mm -hmm. remarkable i think but yeah. that and, and it's it's i think it, i took a lot of time in, in my book to to go into the like nuts and bolts of of how doctors are trained because like that's how you get results right you and i were not like you know born born doctors or like born good at stuff and i think yeah. it, it you have to really dedicate yourself for years and take on what you can like 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 grow as in a grow as a person and what i found at least is that what i focus on that is every day trying to learn something new um over the course of years it turned out that like that stuff added up 
<laughs> you know, and like it's like it's like it's like having a puzzle and putting it together random piece at a time. Yeah. And then over the course of a while, eventually you can see the whole puzzle. And like, oh, like that's what I thought. Yeah. That's pretty it's, cool. It's 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 a beautiful yeah. you know picture that you see, yeah. and you know you you don't know until like you traverse that time yeah. and and energy put into it. And uh, yeah, it's great. So um, Nabil, you know, I, I'm really really enjoying this. We're gonna close out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you this last question. What would you say? You know, given you know everything that you've. Um, kind of accumulated in the mass so far, what would you say are your top three strategies that you would recommend, you know, for the next, you know, catastrophic event, no matter what it is, um, or even just something that, you know, we may make up in our head, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, system one, you know, we're fight or flight, right? We can easily just think of, um, you know, something bad is going to happen, right? So what would you say would be like your top three strategies? So number one, I'd say is, a diversification in that I would figure out the most, the like five most essential functions of your life. And that could be anything. It could be your job, your kid, your dog, go, going to the gym, getting enough sleep, whatever the things that I think are the most important to you have multiple ways to get those things done. Is that if you have like just kind of an airplane is set up with multiple redundant systems set up your life with multiple redundant systems assuming that one or two are going to fail in that way although you might you might lose some less important things you're always going to prioritize like three to five main main things in your life that bring you joy and purpose number two i'd say is don't don't project too far into the future um people i think every i think everyone does I, I do this sometimes too, but everyone does it that we have this idea of, oh, if I do this, then this is going to happen, then this, then this, and then this. And, you know, after five iterations, you have this fantasy in your head that's just not consistent with reality. And so part of what we learn in anesthesia and med school and surgeons as well, this is probably the biggest for surgeons is to, is to stay in the moment and keep asking yourself, what can I do right now? Because the past is gone. You you can't you can't change it, and and the future can't be predicted. All that you really have is like right now. So try to optimize your present, and then um, things will work out. And number three, I think, is that whenever something catastrophic occurs, it it always presents an opportunity. So I think COVID taught a lot of people that the life that they were living wasn't really the life that made them happy. And some of them are now not willing to go back to lowly paid jobs. Some became entrepreneurs. Some are spending more time with their families or taking their life in a totally different direction. And so I, I wouldn't approach a catastrophes and like huge tectonic shifts in life as pure tragedies i kind of look at things everything has both like a light and a dark side to it um in that like whenever something happens see it as an opportunity of like how do i adapt to this how do i challenge myself how do i make how do i make myself better or or put myself in a a position that that is more a consistent uh with my happiness 
So the third like thing is like and make sure that you can that you that you can always do the things that are most important to you to to focus on your present versus your past and your future and then um then see big catastrophic events as opportunities i love it i love it um you know uh it's it's very um humbling to be able to Number one, um, I, I, I tell this to my patients, you know, all the time, if you can practice a little bit of gratitude every single day, mm, you know, you'll definitely look, you know, through the world in different lenses, right? And uh, it's not, you know, so much of a naivety to it is more of a respect and appreciation for what you have, what you may or may not have taken for granted. And I think, oh, yeah. you know, you brought up COVID as a prime example of, you know, how have I or how have we been living our lives? And, you know, I think it's super important to question it, you know, I'm saying super important to reflect and pause and, you know, just just say to yourself, you know, what could we do differently, you know, because, you know, that cliche is no longer a cliche in my, my, you know, my eyes, life is short, but I would add on to that, that life is very fragile. And so, you know, what can we, what can we do uh, moving forward today. And, you know, I think the repeated theme of what can I do now um, keeps coming up. So I thank you for, um, you know, number one, you know, showing up, number two, doing what you're doing. Um, you know, I can't wait for you to be a full-fledged attending and, <laughs> you know, go and save the world, you know, a thousand times over. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be here. Um, if people are interested in learning about you more and wanted to get your book and find out more about you, where can they go? Um, so I made a website. It's airwaybagelcoffee.com. And that's like, like, it's like, it's like based on a joke, a joke and anesthesia of the ABCs of an emergency are um, airway breathing circulation. And we, and we joke and show it's like airway, then you, you know, put it, put in a, breathing tube and then you like then you you know then you go get like breakfast your bagel and your coffee so. <laughs> is that how it's spelled i just added uh, yeah it's it, airway bagel coffee uh, dot com one word yeah it's all like yeah, yeah, yeah. One word. okay cool 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 awesome and uh yeah so again you know thank you so much you know for uh being here and mm-hmm. uh, for doing what you're doing um yeah we greatly appreciate it yeah, well i thank you for having me <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for watching, you know, this episode. You know, if you found this to be a benefit for you, please like and subscribe and follow and please share with others. And until, you know, the next episode, please say goodbye to doc- Dr. Nabil Often. <laughs> See you Colin. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, Please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.